Last week we spoke to you from the first four verses. Today we're going to begin in verse number five. This is uh, Peter's last will and testament. Kind of reminds me of Second Timothy. You know, that was Paul's last will and testament. Uh, something uh, very powerful comes usually from the words of uh, people who have lived a long time. There's a whole lot of wisdom there. And uh, we're going to begin reading in verse number 5. And The title of our message today is Knowing for Sure We're Saved. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. I'd like to ask you to underline that if you like to do those things in your Bible. Uh, add to your faith. You know, faith is one thing, and here he says, listen, this is something I want you to add to it. And he gives us a list, and I've told you before, you know, I like lists. I have lists of things everywhere. Uh, I can pray better with a list. I can live my life better with a list. And so he begins to list these certain items right here. Virtue is the first one. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance, or that's endurance. To endurance, godliness, godlikeness. To godliness, uh, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, and this is the last one, simply love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure there's not one single person in our church this morning that would ever want to be, as a Christian, barren or unfruitful, you know. Uh, we are to bear fruit, aren't we? And that's always our inner desire to do that. And Peter says here, listen, if these things are in your life and they abound, uh, you're going to be fruitful. Verse 9, for he who lacks these things is, uh, on, the, on the other hand, and he's, remember he's talking to believers here, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he is that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now, that's really penetrating to me because I can identify with that. You know, I, need, I meet people all the time, and they, uh, they say, oh, yeah, I used to go to church when I was a kid. My parents made me go. And, yeah, I was serious about God at one time, but it's so far in my memory right now. I, I'm just, I, I'm not into that right now. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure, knowing for sure we are saved. You've heard me say it before. If you know where you're going when you die, you can face anything this life throws at you. Knowing for sure that you're saved is the most wonderful and tremendous thing in all the world. Uh, we call it assurance of salvation. Uh, John wrote about it in 1 John 5.13. He says, These things have I written unto you that believe that you may know that you have eternal life. Here he says, uh, Peter, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure that you're simply your salvation. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, uh, Peter uh, opens it, uh, as I mentioned last week, with one of his favorite designations for himself. He said, I'm a bondservant or I'm a slave of Jesus. And uh, the older you grow in the faith, you, uh, you, you kind of cherish that. 
You know, I think when you're young in the faith, you think, boy, you know, I, I, I want to be an apostle. Count me in. Uh, I want to sit next to Jesus in his kingdom. But after you really digest and assimilate what Christianity is all about, you just cherish the thought of just being a slave of Jesus. And uh, so he came to that place. First Peter, I mentioned to you, was written to people who are under imminent threat of persecution. And um, Peter was encouraging them to lift up their eyes. Uh, somebody came into the church not long ago and they said, you know, I just hate my life right now. I almost chewed them out right on the, I'm, I've lost my mind and all my self-control. And uh, I gave them a nice little lecture. Uh, you know, this life does not consist in the abundance of the things that we have. This life consists for you and me in the spiritual treasures that we have in Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. Amen. And so Second uh, Peter was written to people to warn them of false teachers and harmful influences. And uh, we find here uh, an interesting uh, thing. Uh, this, is noted, this particular book is noted as one of the general letters of the Bible. That simply means it's, uh, it's for all Christians everywhere. Uh, there are a number of those, those type books in the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews, Jude, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, 1st and 2nd Peter. Uh, these are James. Uh, these are gen what we call general letters. Um, Peter talks a lot about salvation. We were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your faint conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. Talks a lot about salvation. But the profession of faith is paramount, isn't it, to our eternal salvation, but our progression in faith is paramount too, to fulfill the purpose for which God made us. And you know, that's always been a passion of mine. Uh, you know, I, I know that I can't be the most uh, whatever we dream about being as a Christian, I know I can't do that. But I sure want to fulfill basically the purpose for which God made me. You know, at the end of the road, I want to, I want to feel like, oh, yeah, I, I did tap into that. I was on the road with that idea. And so in order to do that, we have to progress in our salvation. A profession of faith is produced, uh, is, is produced for practical results. Um, and so, first of all, in verse number five, he talks about growing in the virtues of God. Uh, add to your faith these things. Obeying God's command. Has God ever led anyone in the right, wrong direction? No. Verse five starts out this way. Let's go back and look at it. But also for this very reason, give all diligence. This is our attitude towards spiritual growth right here. Give all diligence. You know, when you get on the job, you tell your employees, listen. I'm only asking one thing of you. Give everything you got. That's all I want. When you show up at work, I want you to lay it all down, and I want you to give everything I got, and we'll have a good relationship. Uh, and, and so Peter is saying this. Uh, he says, I want you to give all diligence. That should be our attitude towards spiritual growth. Uh, whenever we think of spiritual growth, progressing in Christ, that should be it. Make, in other words, make every disciplined effort. That's what this is saying. Every disciplined effort to grow in God. You know, growing spiritually takes effort. I hope that's not a revelation to you. Let's say it together, okay? 
Growing spiritually takes effort. And so if you're sitting here in the church today and you're saying, well, you know, I just really don't put much into this. Well, I, I have to deduce by that that you're just getting a lot, lot, getting a lot out of it. Spiritual growth takes effort, and that's what he's talking about right here. This should be our attitude. Uh, and a statement of purpose for you and me should be this. I will put forth the effort to grow spiritually. Because what that does is that unlocks the purpose for which you were born. Now, for sure you were born to be saved, but uh, boy, there's surely more to the Christian life than that. And so, and here's the good thing. We're not alone in this effort. You know, I just pushed you off the bridge right here, put forth all diligence, and you say, boy, is this going to take work of mine? Sure it is, but, uh, but it's not work alone. And uh, I guess one of the golden texts of that is Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Let's read this together this morning. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation, not someone else's, yours, with fear. That means respect and awe in the presence of God. For it is God who works in you. Now, remember, I said I want you to put forth a diligent effort. Here the Bible says, now, God is at work in you to do two things, to give you the will to will, that's desire, and then to give you the energy, and that's to do for his good pleasure. So... So the Lord here is not asking you to do something you can't do. And I, I love always to make this statement. God never asks us to do anything we can't do with his help. And he always, wants to include him, he always wants us to include him to be a partner with him in this thing. And so whenever we think about spiritual growth, all we're doing is we're partnering up with God uh, to grow spiritually. Uh, because as we saw earlier, uh, just... Uh, a few verses earlier, that we have God's given to us his divine power. God will help us in this effort. This is what it means to work at our salvation. We need to put some effort to grow spiritually. If you would give some effort, I'll tell you, you'd be amazed at what had happened in your life. You'd be amazed. And you'd be amazed at what God would do for you in that effort. Uh, and so, let's look at verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. These are additions to our faith. Faith cannot remain alone, is what Peter is saying. Peter knew, like James, that faith without works is dead. Uh, and so these are some changes that God expects in our life right here. And uh, it's interesting, though, before we get to the change, you see the word add there in verse 5? That's a strong command in the original language. Uh, Peter says, listen, now, I want you to add to your faith. Uh, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. And then he starts out uh, pretty high. He uses the word virtue. What is that? Uh, this Now we're going to make the list, okay? Uh, you have it already on your notes. A virtue. This is a high moral standard. You know, in a world of anything goes, situational ethics, there is a moral standard to which we are to aspire. Personal righteousness, 
moral excellence, fulfilling the purpose, performing deeds of excellence. Uh, you know, virtue in the Bible never meant some, some cloistered virtue or retreating from society, looking at the world and saying, oh, the world is so bad, I think I'm going to go live in a monastery somewhere and hide away. That, that's not uh, part of this whole idea. Virtue is to live a, a morally excellent life in the midst of, of every type of debauchery unknown to man. And so he says, this is where I want you to start right here. And it needs to be demonstrated out in the marketplace. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5.16? Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So get out there and... Uh, and, and you don't have to trumpet your virtue, but your virtue will trumpet itself because it will look so different against the backdrop of the blackness of this world. It will look so different. And so uh, let's start with that, a virtue. And then he goes on and he, he mentions the next one, knowledge. Knowledge is spiritual truth that leads to wisdom and discernment. This is not just academic knowledge. You know, it's a wonderful thing to learn about God, and I'm always hungry to do that. I, I really am. I never grow weary of that. Uh, but this is just not academic knowledge. It's experiential knowledge, a knowledge that will lead to discernment and further growth, knowledge with a purpose. Hebrews 5.14 gives us a little insight on this. Let's read this. Solid food is for those who are mature, who have trained themselves to recognize the difference between right and wrong and then do what is right. See the word trained there? That's disciplined yourself. That's put, put forth every effort training yourself to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Now, right here in our scripture for this morning, we've already seen one point that really is a bright light in the difference between right and wrong. The world's morality is all wrong, right? And God's all right. And so we have to train ourselves to figure that out. We have to put some effort into it. We have to learn about those things. And then when we do that, we begin to learn the difference between right and wrong, and, uh, and we have discernment. Discernment's a wonderful thing. It really is. You see a situation over here and you look at it and you say, holy cow, that's, I don't want to get involved in that. Uh, and so we grow in that area. Uh, the next thing, look at, look at what it says here. Uh, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to, and to knowledge uh, self-control. That's, uh, some Bibles have the word temperance, self-control. Galatians 5.22 is the I guess the golden text of this, or at least one of them, let's read it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. There it is. Against such, there is no law. Self-control. Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight puts it this way. Let's read that. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Self-control is a good thing, isn't it? And, uh, and so this we add to the list. And so we're adding these things to our faith. Now, I think when somebody comes to Christ and believes in Jesus, uh, you know, uh, 
the world doesn't teach self-control, does it? The world just teaches you to be out of control or lose control. But uh, God says, listen, you need, to, you need to control yourself. You know, this was a very highly praised virtue in, in Greece, and, but it was built upon self-effort. It's like you and me turning over a new leaf at, at the first of the year. How many new leaves have we all turned over? We've run out of leaves, right? Uh, because uh, it's self-effort. Uh, instead of casting all our care upon the Lord because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Um, Self-control deals... Now listen to this, and I want you to write this down because this is good. Self-control deals with us handling the pleasures of life. Self-control deals with us handling the pleasures of life. Uh, You know, there's a lot of pleasure out there, and the Bible says it refers to the pleasure of sin for a season. Uh, Sin tastes good temporarily, but then it's... It's terrible. Second uh, Timothy three four says, "In the last days, men shall be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God." And and you know, there's always a big temptation for you and me. We're we're still very much in the flesh, and and so we're attracted uh, to the things of the world. But self controls deal deals with handling the pleasures of life. How much of it are we going to have? Uh, when's the limit? When do we stop? Uh, making enjoying ourselves the ultimate goal of our life. And so self-control deals with that, the pleasures of life. Now it goes on. Let's go on to the next thing. The next thing is endurance. It has to do with us handling the problems of life. Self-control, the pleasures of life. Endurance, the problems of life. Whew, problems. We all have them, don't we? Uh, you're connected, maybe you don't have it right at this second in your home, but you have lots of friends that do. Uh, you have some of your relatives, they got problems. And uh, all of us are connected with those things. And so uh, endurance has to do with handling the problems of life. Endurance is really a, a very important virtue. What it is is the stamina to bear up under the load. It's the Greek word, hupomene. Hupo means under, and mene means to remain. In other words, to remain under. How much pressure can we take? Uh, well, we just keep, the load just keeps getting heavier and heavier and heavier, and we're saying, listen, I just can't take one more thing. If I take one more thing, I'm done. Well, uh, we need endurance because uh, usually when we say that, we get two more things rather than one. Uh, we're all soldiers in the Lord's army, and uh, the Lord says, Lord, endure hardness as a good soldier. Soldiers have to endure everything. I've read uh, stories about the Second World War going into Germany. Uh, what those military people had to, had to do was inhuman. Actually, inhuman. You know, they didn't get one more thing. They got ten more things uh, laid on them. Uh, and, but, but here he's talking about in spiritual terms. Uh, enduring for the long haul. Uh, the personal staying power that will die before giving in. I like that. Quality that it does not surrender to its circumstances. Uh, that's endurance. Now, and you're sitting there and you're saying, you know, I have some of this stuff. And I think about some of this stuff. Let's pray about some of these things, okay? 
Let's pray about them because, because Peter said, I want you to add these things to your faith. I want you to grow in these things. You might say, well, I, you know, I don't have a lot of that, but, but, but that's, that's why we grow in these things. That's why we progress in these things. And then he talks about godliness. What is that? That's godlikeness. Uh, our standard for this is the characteristics of Jesus. He's our role model. Uh, you know, there's always a poor substitute around that you can model yourself after as a Christian. How many times have you modeled yourself after a Christian? You know, I'm in the ministry, and ministers do that all the time. They see some minister, and they say, oh, they don't verbalize it. They wouldn't dare do that. Uh, but they say, you know, I want to be like him. I remember years ago, I don't remember completely years ago, when Billy Graham was a young preacher, I don't know if some, any of you have ever seen some of his, his uh, video. The guy was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, he was, he was a literal fireball, and he had this style. And what happened is when he first came on the scene, all the preachers started to have his style. And so you could go to almost a lot of different churches, and if you kind of close your eyes, you think it was Billy Graham up there. And it wasn't. Uh, it was people who wanted to be like him. It was people who had him for their role model. And so, you know, we do that in little lesser ways. We look at other people and we say, boy, I wish I could be like them. You know, when we do that, it destroys our uniqueness and our failure to become like Christ. And, you know, I believe I, I, uniqueness is what God wants. He wants us to, to be unique. And uh, he wants you to be the person you are not what somebody else wants you to be. And if you grow in Christ, I'll tell you, he will make you who you're supposed to be. And that's the best thing. Because I think God has a unique niche for every single one of us. You know, somebody says, well, the pastor fits good in that realm. Well, that's fine. That's his, that's his niche. But boy, you fit good in some other niche. You know that? He could never fit in that. And so uh, God-likeness is important. And so let's keep our eyes on Christ, not on people. You know, the, this word defines a person who is right with God and other people. God-likeness. Then, then look what else we have here. The next one is brotherly kindness. Now, those two words in the original are one, and it's the Greek word Philadelphia. The city of brotherly what? Love. And... Uh, and so this is, referring to about, this is referring to people in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to love each other. We are to respect each other, and we are to uh, give each other some leniency uh, in life. We're supposed to allow each other to, to fail and still love each other. Brotherly kindness. And it's interesting that after brotherly kindness... And we find that one word tacked on the end, and that word is simply what? Love. And what that means is love for every Christian. Uh, not only love for every Christian, but a love that overflows the bounds of the church. Let's call it sacrificial love because it's the Greek word agape. Um, and uh, this is loving way out of our comfort zone. You know, it's easy sometimes to love your friends in the church, and your friends in your Bible study. But uh, this last word means loving the world, I think. Uh, loving the unlovely. And boy, that's harder to do, isn't it? Uh, 
And so, and so I hope you're not wilting in the church this morning. I hope you're not saying, oh, and every, every time we hit one of these points, you're shrinking back. I hope this is an encouragement for you to see that these are things that you need to add to your faith. Amen. That's a, that's a, we all ought to appreciate the fact of being able to grow in God. And, and all of this proves something. This is going to prove something. It's going somewhere. There is a destination here. And I call that the certainties of our faith. Verse number eight, let's look at that. With these things, for if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. With these things. You know, how we do these things validates our faith to others who are around us and to us as well. Uh, Just last week in the church, I think it was a second service, one of the ladies was uh, talking about her husband. He was right there. It wasn't, it wasn't the fact that she was talking behind his back. He was right there. And, uh, and uh, somebody brought up her husband, and she said, he is really a reborn person. That was her estimation of him. His life validated his profession. And, they, and that it should. Amen. That it should. Whenever we see people growing in these graces, uh, it proves to other people that they are saved. But, you know, not only, not only do we need this to prove to other people we are saved, but we need it to prove to ourselves that we're saved. Because so many people are so fruitless that... Uh, that they have no proof and they begin to doubt their salvation. Am I really saved? Am I really a Christian? Uh, when I hear about things that are in the Bible, I just can't relate to them. Well, spiritual growth produces practical results. Uh, here he says, listen, you're going to be fruitful if you have these things. But without these things, let's look at that in verse number nine. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he has cleansed from his old sins. Uh, He is unfruitful. He is nearsighted, short-sighted to blindness. And what does that mean? I I think that means that that person just looks at themselves, and uh, they can't see a distance. You know, uh, Jesus said in John 4.35, we do have that. Let's read that. Do you not say there are still four months... And then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. You know, a a short-sighted person can't see this. A short-sighted person is looking at themselves all the time. Remember that last word, love? Uh, it, uh, It takes us out of our comfort zone. The sacrificial love of Jesus to this world. And so, and so Jesus said, listen, I want you to lift up your eyes, but if we, haven't add, listen, if we haven't added these things to our faith, we can't do that. Because we are so preoccupied with ourself. We are so preoccupied with our little world. But it looks big to us. Well, uh, this person may be saved and have, of course, all the blessings of verse number 3 and verse number 4 of 2 Peter 1. But without these virtues, he lives in doubt. 
Without growing in Christ, we are a doubter. We really are. And here, here this, uh, in verse number 10, it says, you will never stumble. Now, I know that's a hard statement for us to understand. One commentator put it this way, and I liked it so much that I'm giving it to you this morning. And he, he, he says this, if you are pursuing the qualities that are mentioned, we will not stumble into doubt, despair, fear, or questioning, but we will enjoy the assurance of being saved. Because, you know, you can't go forward very fast if you're stumbling all the time. You know that? If you're, if you're doubting yourself and you're wondering, you know, other Christians are going, growing in God, why not me? Other Christians are changing. Other Christians are becoming new in Christ and newer and newer and newer in Christ all the time. Why not me? Well, it's interesting that he packages this whole little section right here between these two commands, really. Remember, uh, up in verse number 5, it says, giving all diligence. And now, down in verse number 10, he says, be even more diligent. Wow. He says, I want you to give it every effort. And then at the conclusion, he says, I want you to give it every effort. Um, put forth every effort. The investment worth is worth the return. Give all diligence. Now, these virtues create evidence of our salvation. And so, as this woman said of her husband, he is really a reborn person. And she... And she didn't say it, but you could see it in her eyes. Take it from me. I know. Uh, uh, his change in his life uh, that's taking place is not only validating his faith to her, but to him. But to him. That's, that's exciting, isn't it? That's exciting. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Put forth every effort. And so that's the conclusion of our message today. Uh, you know, we put forth effort for all sorts of things, don't we? Uh, let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to help us to put forth every effort to add these virtues to, uh, to our faith, to our salvation faith, so that uh, they begin to validate to the world and to us and to ourselves. That were, that were really saved. You know, spiritual growth is a wonderful thing. It, it keeps you excited all the time. I, I, and I'm just not being ministerial when I say that. I'm just not being pastoral when I say that. When you grow spiritually, there's always something to be excited about. There's always something to be enthusiastic about. Uh, changing our life, changing the lives of people around us, is a very, very exciting thing. But we have to put forth some effort. We have to grow in Christ. We have to assimilate the word of God. We have to learn to communicate with Christ through prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for <clears throat> these tremendous words uh, given in uh, Peter's last will and testament. And we pray that as we leave this church today, uh, we will all be more resolved to grow in you, Lord, uh, to set forth a pattern of growth for our life so that we can say no to an extreme amount of pleasure to be self-controlled 
and so that we can bear up under the extreme amount of pressure with all the burdens that come in our life. And we'll thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.